The following Dharma talk was given by Shimyo Simon Atkinson. Reverend Atkinson is an ordained priest in the Soto Zen Buddhist tradition. She received Dharma transmission in 2015 from Reverend Tejab Munich at the Great Tree Zen Women's Temple in North Carolina. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. Thank you for listening. Good morning. The topic I chose for today is renunciation. I've kind of been mulling this over a long time for myself and what that means in this practice. When I say the word renunciation, um, there's a little bit of resistance in me. I think that's um, normal for most, most people. Renunciation to, uh, in this culture, means to give up something. It means to uh, in our kind of Christian um, background in this culture, to walk away from the world. But what does it mean in this practice, in Zen practice, in Buddhist practice? Where I start from is, I'm uh, a Zen priest. At this point, at this stage in my life, you know, not living, I don't have a temple. I'm no longer living in temple or in, mon in monastery. I'm just in an apartment somewhere up in the Bronx. I spent 10 years of my life living in temple, various, you know, um, well, just one temple really, down in North Carolina for a long time. Um, and that was a monastic life. That was a life that we, um, in, as I said in this culture, define as having walked away from the world. It isn't walking away from the world. I can test that, but um, that's what we think it means. First, I'd like to say, uh, explain a little bit, you know, because I don't want. I think there's a there's a renunciation or a practice. No, it's not even a practice. It's a mindset of renunciation as. I'm about to try to explain my idea of it as being that applies to all of us, not just people who um, decide to live in a monastery. In the West, when we talk about monks and nuns in the Zen traditions, 
um, particularly in the um, Zen tradition. Um, we like to say things like, um, well, you know, there's no difference between the practice of a Zen, of a Zen monk and a lay person and a lay Zen person. They're the same. And essentially they are. But there's something in our brains and our egos that, you know, conflates the two. Because we all want to be Zen master. We all want to be special. But there is a difference in the life that you choose. Otherwise, you wouldn't call it two different things. Both are viable. Both are important in this tradition. Both exist together and hold this tradition together, the Zen monk and the Zen lay person. So they're both important. They both support each other in the ways that they do, whatever tradition you're in. But there's a difference between taking a vow to live purely by the prescription of Dogen, by prescription, and to live out your life without that prescription. You know, to live as a monk is to live by the Shingi, which is to um, live by the rules that Dogen put out for living in a monastery, the schedule, the uh, ways of, of eating, the ritual, more than that, really, but, you know, it's all there. It's by prescription. It's written down. And that's what, when you go to the monastery, you see people doing, living by that prescription. As lay people, we live in the world, and there's nobody telling us the schedule, except maybe, you know, the people down at corporate and HR, you know, or um, the people, you know, if you're going to school, you know the, you know, the rules of the school. But those change, and they, they, you know, they move us around, and you know, there's all kinds of change going on every day, you know, as opposed to the monk, where changes are slower in the schedule, slower in the changing of the rules and that kind of thing, but they're always there, always solid. That's why living as a layperson is so hard. It's so much harder than living as a monastic. As a monastic, um, the, way, the reason why we um, mistake it for living outside of the world is because that's all you're doing. All you're doing all day long, you know, for maybe for years, is living in that schedule, living in that um, container. Um, it's not concern, you know, your concern is always right here. Because, you know, you're not having children, 
you're not in the family, you're dealing with this really, you know, group of randos you got thrown into, you know, at some point, um, and you're having to live with, and they ch come and go, and they change just like they do out in the world, but, you know, it's always that. Whereas here, there's lots of different responsibilities you got to deal with and different ways of dealing with those responsibilities depending on what culture you're in, what city you live in, how much money you have, blah, 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 blah. All of that, that's real hard. But we're kind of doing the same thing. We are doing exactly the same thing. We're doing the work of um, becoming and discovering and manifesting our Buddha nature, whatever that is. One is doing it under the prescription of Dogen, for example, whereas, you know, if you're Theravadan, you're doing it under the Vinaya. If you're doing Tibetan um, practice, you're doing it under the guidance of the Lama. But here, in lay practice, you got to figure it out. You might have the help of a priest or two or a couple of books, whatever. But I'm kind of figuring it out. But as always, you know, the work is the same. The work is the same. Um, one other thing between that I just like to say about monastic practice, only practice to, to a certain thing, is there's a warning. We have this, as I said, uh, I feel that there's this conflation of the monastic and the lay in this culture. And some of that feeds, feed each other in a different way than we do in the traditional practice. And some of that is really good. And it brings about a change that can help us all. But some of that leads to some spiritual bypassing and some really, really um, unhealthy stuff, you know, because we think we're special. Not because of what we're doing, but because of how we hold it. And just a warning of that, you know, whether you're wearing a robe or you're not, you know, there's nothing special about this. Nothing holy. This practice, whether you're in the monastery or whether you're in the street, is difficult, is hard, should be hard. You can't put this on, you know, this is, you can wear this like a costume, you know and sit around and talk junk about Zen without doing the work and still go out and hurt people and cause harm in the world. So this means nothing, nothing holy. All it is is a symbol that I'm trying. I'm trying something. I should be trying something. You know, if I wear it as a costume, 
and do my, you know, specialness. Um, yeah, nobody can see what's really going on underneath the robe in this heart but me. So I know when I'm doing the work and when I'm not. Same thing for, you know, a layperson. You can come and hang around in the Zen Center all you want and learn all the little things that you can learn about doing all you want, you know. Um, but if it's not, a, in either case, if it's not a real part of your life, if it's something special that you're doing on the side, or something special you're doing to show somebody how special you are. Because um, it's not showing your true nature. It's just showing something. Um, stop wasting our time. I just felt like I needed to say that because I need to say it <laughs> to, to me too, you know. I just need to say that. But in the, in, you know, either case, this, this is the practice. And where renunciation comes in for that, it comes in for bo in both ways. In one place, in the monastery, it's very obvious. But in the street, where we get to pick and choose and where we have to figure out everything, um, it's harder. When I was in the monastery and when I was living in temple, there were things that um, I just didn't have. I spent 20 years working um, at a job for, you know, a government job. And I had benefits and I had a car and car payments and things like that. Lots of debt, like everybody else because we Americans, and that's how we roll. But at the point where I got into, when I decided, because it's a decision and it's opinions, it was very conscious that I decided that I was going to take this vow and devote my life to living as a monk fully in the Dharma, you know, at that point, I had to make some decisions where um, I had to give up a job. I had to give up income. I had to give up, in some instances, a lot of time. And when I say time, that was time that where I could not choose to be where or with whom I wanted. And it was a lot of time, as I said, spent with this group of randos that I got thrown in with in the monastery for three months, five months, you know, um, just living with people I didn't know, um, far away at times from my family, a whole half a, half a planet away from family and friends. Um, and that was a choice that I made. Having made that choice, when I got to the monastery and it was real, 
I'm like, why is this so hard? This doesn't even have, you know, there's a store down the street. We could get, you know, why can't, you know, and all that, you know, resistance came up. And all that identity, too, came up, you know. I've got all kinds of rights and blah, blah, blah. You can't tell me what to do. Yeah, you can. <laughs> get your butt in the kitchen. You know, stop eating in the hall. What am I? Stop eating in the hall. You want to eat going? Okay. All of that, you know. And it, it seems very weird and very strange, you know, to, to have to live by these rules in this modern society, having to wear these clothes. I had to wear this every day for hours a day, you know, in the heat of, um, whether it was in the heat of Iowa or the heat of Nagoya or, you know, wherever, you know, in these uncomfortable clothes, being taken, my comfort being taken away my privacy being taken away, you know. Um, in the monastery in particular, well, there were times in, in certain places where you could have a little bit of time on your own. They give you a break for about like half an hour and you can go for a little walk and, you know. Meanwhile, on that little walk, because there's only so, so many places you can go, you're always walking, you know, walking past somebody, like, trying to pretend like y'all not seeing each other, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and, but in certain places, it was 24 hours a day, um, in a particular place, with 35 people. You could not get away from it, except when you went to the toilet. And I spent a lot of time, to joke about it all the time, standing in the toilet stall, just standing there. You know, just standing there. Well, so it was that kind of, of, of renunciation. And that feels extreme, but it really isn't. There are people all over the world who have to live like that because that's just the circumstances. And sometimes it's just what you're willing to put up with. You know, so you spend five months like that, you know, sleeping in a room with eight different people, you know. Um, kind of what, what's going on in, in the monastery, and I just wrote about this a little bit, was the only thing, if you say that you have a job in the monastery, whether it's you're in the kitchen or whether you're cleaning, whether you're setting up the altars, whether you're doing Eno stuff, all of that, all of that is taking care of each other in the monastery. We don't think of it like that. We think we go to the monastery so we can learn how to do forms and rituals, but really what you're doing all day long is taking care of the temple, taking care of the sangha, taking care of the people, some of the people you don't even like. But that's your, that's your task. It's the same as out here. 
what you're doing. Whether it's taking care of family, taking care of customers, taking care of students, what are you doing? What's all this for? We can get confused. Even if you're just out there trying to make a living, what you doing all day long? It better be useful to somebody because you ain't going to get paid. It better be taking care of somebody, something who, you know, even if you're just doing it for the money, even if you don't have, an, you know, a, a um, direct attachment to who you're serving, what are we doing? Same thing. Here it's obvious. Here maybe not so much. But back to renunciation, that's kind of part of renunciation too. You know, what do you, what are you willing to, we think, give up? But really, what it felt, when it, what I came to feel like in the monastery and in my life at Great Tree for those 10 years is not what I'm willing to give up. What am I willing to let go of? What am I willing not to do without, but to just let go and let be? Renunciation is not an ascetic practice. The Buddha said that we are to walk the middle way the middle way means no extremes. Monastery seems like the extreme, but you're in a place where everybody is taking care of you in some way, and you are taking care of everybody. And everything that you need is right there. Three, two to three meals a day, depending on where you stand. Um, water, a place to sleep, even if it's in a room with, you know, eight other grown people. Yeah, you got a place to sleep. You got a roof over your head. You didn't choose it, but it was made for you. So what have I lost? What do I lack? What I lost was all those things, quote unquote, lost was all those things I thought I wanted and thought I needed. There was a point when in living in the monastery, living in Great Tree, where my car um, was an old Honda Civic, uh, Civic Hybrid and the battery had died, that big battery that costs as much as the car to replace. And that wasn't happening because I didn't have a salary that I could put into a car. I didn't have, you know, anything. Because um, barely pay the car insurance, you know, with the stipend that I received. 
yeah. and the donations that you receive, you know, you can't count on that. Um, but even so, I had a car. Think about that. No job outside, but I had a car. I had a way of something was there. And that was about to go away because the car was old. It was time. And that's how the world works. Change. Emptiness. And I remember when I was working, you know, that government job, you know, years ago, how if some little thing happened to the car and it had to be in the shop, oh my God, it was the end of the world. End of the world happens, you know, so often, does it not? You know, how in the world am I going to get to work? I can't do this. I can't do that. I don't have a car. I spent so much money on this car. Ah, ah, ah. You know. That's the way we roll. And after years in the monastery, you know, and, and, you know, I had this car for years. I had the car before I went into the monastery. That's how old it was. <sighs> Suddenly, all kinds of options came up. You know, the car is going to be gone after a while. What can I do? Well, I can sell it and get $400. There's $400 right there, you know, that I can have. Won't have a car. How will I get to the store? Well, you can take that $400 and buy yourself a bike. If you need, you know, I lived, um, my mother was, was living down in, um, near Charlotte, and I was up in Asheville, and I had to, I tried to go and visit her once a month because she wasn't, you know, she's getting older. Her health was failing, you know, those kinds of things. So that was very important for me to be able to do that. And I had friends that would let me borrow their car. I could go down to Enterprise and, you know, rent one for $15 if I just really needed to get down there. There's a Greyhound bus station. All of these things that, you know, are options out there, you know. They're not as easy, not as convenient. But there's something there. Yeah. In the end, the car died. The guy came and got it. I got my $400. And somewhere in that, somebody donated a car to Great Tree. It just happened. And I had a ride. And I didn't worry about it. It, it just, you know, something was provided. Even if that hadn't happened, something was provided because I am not alone. There's a whole universe around me. And if I let it, it will take good care of me. If I fight with it and want it to be exactly the way I want it to be, I will starve. It's like walking through a forest full of berry trees and, you know, berries don't grow on trees, girl. Blackberries, walking past it, and because they're not packaged the way they are in the supermarket, 
you starve. That's kind of what renunciation means in this culture, I think. In terms of being a monk, a monk like I said, it's kind of obvious. You know, that's kind of what the monastery, one of the big things that I learned being in monastic practice is that all I have to do is take care of everyone. All sentient beings, like I vowed, because I'm one of those beings. And I have to have a sort of faith that the universe will provide. Kind of cliche, but yeah. And the reason why I don't have what I need sometimes is because I don't see it. I'm looking for something else that doesn't exist that I made up in my head, my fantasy, instead of the reality, the reality that when we sit on this cushion, we claim that we are wanting to experience. That's a very important lesson in the monastery. Now, as a layperson, and I haven't been, I've, I've been living a quote-unquote sort of lay life since I left the monastery in October. Um, it's not so obvious. There's a lot of stuff that we think we can't do without. A lot of stuff that we think must have or happen or look like for us to be able to do that same taking care of family and ourselves and to be taken care of. It's harder. But we spent a year and a half now about to go into another year guaranteed watching some of those things fall away. Having to let go of a salary, a vacation, the ability to go where we want, to let everybody see our beautiful faces not behind a mask. This whole masking thing is just so kind of ridiculous. <laughs> you know, I understand it. I hate, I hate wearing the mask. I have, I have a eczema. And so where the mask touches, you know, I'm doing pretty good right now. Um, it gets really irritating. And, you know, when the when the eczema starts popping out, I'm you know, you know, it's not pretty. 
but saving all sentient beings, I can handle that. Saving all sentient beings, we have to. But that's hard when you have a child that you want to have the best that you can give. Think about that. What's the best you can give? Do you think that somebody that has less than you is not wanting the same for their child? Because the best they can give is not the same quote unquote quality of what somebody else with more resources can give. None of us think that. So why would you think about it that way for yourself? When the Buddha went out begging, you know, he begged from those with the, in the highest caste to those in the lowest. And whatever they put in those bowls, from whatever part of the hierarchy or whatever, you know, caste hierarchy, whether it was gold and silver, whether it was the scrapings, you know, from the bottom of the rice bowl pot. It was precious, just as precious. The universe has a lot to give us. Renunciation is acknowledging that. Put it down. What you need will appear. Not what you want. What you need will appear. It may not look shiny. Might not be new. But when you turn the key, you can go. And that's all you need. So whether we're doing it consciously, well, we ought to be doing it consciously. We ought to be seeing, you know, because if you're so busy chasing and grasping and running after something, you're running right past some of the most nutritious most nurturing, most loving beings and all they can offer you because your eyes are blinded by the ego that need, thinks it wants, not needs, thinks it wants, thinks it must have. Even the minimalist movement, they're so ridiculous. <laughs> it's like, um, 
It's just another, uh, um, this is just an opinion. I mean, I don't, I don't know. It's like another way of buying stuff. <laughs> you know, it's just another way of buying stuff. You know, and you look at these videos of minimalists and they've got this like table. And it's just a plain old table. But you're talking about that table the same way somebody's talking about a BMW. You know, it's a table. Enjoy that table. I'm not saying you shouldn't, but use it and put it in its place. Not as something, you know, special, but something that's a part of your life that's helping you, that serves you in its, in its way until it serves you no longer, until it's gone. Um, because all of this will be gone. All of us will be gone. But did we take care? Or did we just pile it up? Did we appreciate that futon in a cold place for what it was? Um, or were we just, you know, dreaming of that queen mattress, $1,500 down at Macy's? So what I was trying to get to, maybe I should just read this and, and finish this off, if I can read what I said. And this is just a part of something that I wrote, trying to remind myself. What is to be learned from enunciation? To know that we need only rely upon the universe for what we need. We learn that fear of lack is unnecessary and that we, what we truly need, we will receive if we are open to it. It allows us to experience the world as givers and receivers, rather than competitors and hoarders. We discover and embody the concept of enough. Renunciation doesn't mean deprivation. We walk the middle way after all, not caught in the delusion of either extreme of poverty or hedonism to trust that the Sangha will provide and as part of that Sangha to give all of ourselves in support of the Dharma. What do we learn from the Soto? Respect and empathy for each other. We learn to care for each other, to each other's well-being. In the Bendoho, Dogen is constantly reminding us to be careful of our fellow monks moving in harmony through the day to give everyone a chance to achieve enlightenment, to give everyone that op opportunity. So to go back to what I said in the beginning, there's no difference between what the monk is doing 
inside and what the lay person is doing outside, quote unquote, inside and outside, no such thing. It's all dealing with the world and caring and receiving and giving in that round of, you know, so long as we're on the wheel. So that's kind of what I had to say today. I don't know if I went on too long or not, or whether I went on, went on I, don't, I don't know how long I talk sometimes, you know. I do go on. And I hope it, you know, it was useful to you. Thank you very much for listening. Thanks so much for listening. To find out more about our ongoing programs and residency opportunities, visit ZMM.org.